Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz, and my guest today is Carson Tate, founder and principal of Working Simply. She's an expert on workplace productivity, and that's uh, part of what we're going to talk about today in addition to her upcoming book, Work Simply Embracing the Power of Your Personal Productivity Style. So, Carson, thanks for joining me. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be with you today. So, what led you to building a company that was all about uh, doing this kind of work, making people more productive? So, in my corporate career, I saw quite a few of my colleagues and friends really struggling yeah. to figure out the easiest and the most efficient way to reach their goals professionally, yeah. personally. And so felt called to figure out what are some ways that I can support folks and reaching their goals without sacrificing themselves or their lives. One of the things I like about uh, your work as I've, I've studied is this idea of people having individual productivity styles. I think a lot of organizations or a lot of individuals, even they read about David Allen's work and getting things done and it's like, okay, that's my system. I'm going to use that exactly as David Allen uses it or talks about using it or they bring in Franklin Covey to an organization. Everybody now is going to use this one productivity or at least planning style. And, and um, one of the things I like about your work is you seem to really uh, focus on learning what an individual style is and, and then go about uh, showing them how to use that. Absolutely. So in my... Um, graduate research, and then in the real world as well, I just realized that not everyone thinks the same, and that if we're trying to apply a one-size-fits-all productivity methodology, we're setting people up for success. And so by helping folks determine what I call their productivity style, which is connected to their cognitive thinking style, folks not only get are not frustrated, but they have strategies and tools that are really aligned to the way they think and the chances of them adopting them and actually making behavior changes that stick are much more likely. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think it's why it, it sort of aligns with why somebody's good in math and why somebody's good in history. Exactly. Why, yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so let's play to our strengths. Yeah. Let's not um, get frustrated and just try to build up places that we aren't as strong. Let's play to our strengths. Well, so now, uh, having said that they're individual, have you, are there like sex really predominant styles? I mean, that, that whatever the number is, I mean, have you been able to identify, oh, you're probably an X? <laughs> so in my assessment, there are four different styles that I've determined are out there. And it's, they're the prioritizer, the yeah. planner, the arranger, and the visualizer. I will say what you tend to see in certain pockets of corporate America um, in the uh, finance, operations, risk management, you tend to see more planners and prioritizers. These folks are logical, analytical, fact-based, planned, organized thinkers. And so that tends to be the predominant style in those areas. Um, In sales organizations, marketing, um, design, you tend to see more teaching. You tend to see more of the arranger and visualizers. Those styles are more intuitive, kinesthetic, big picture um, type thinkers. Yeah, and I mentioned that um, just like um, you know, people's unique abilities allow them to excel in certain jobs. They're very task-oriented people. They're very project management-oriented people. They're very strategic people. And I'm sure that that comes into play as well in, in their style. 
Absolutely. So, for example, the visualizer, one of their strengths is their ability to brainstorm new ideas. So if you're working on a project team, really want to make sure that we're tapping into that visualizer on the team and helping them help the team think of new and innovative approaches, balancing that with the planner on the team to put together the thoughtful, sequential, organized project plan. One of the things that I wonder um, how you address um, is there's a lot of people that uh, certainly confuse productivity with busyness. Um, and mm. so you know, how, do you, how do you get people to focus on maybe actually doing less um, and getting far more accomplished that might actually help them meet their overall objectives? So I typically start with the analogy of um, how often have you felt like you're running on a treadmill at work, just running faster and faster, but when we're on a treadmill, where are you going? Mm-hmm. Nowhere. And our busyness is like that. It's that frenetic activity that isn't linked or really connected to our goals and strategic objectives of our organization. So just the realization of, that the spinning isn't truly what you need to do and what you want to do and helping folks understand what's driving that busyness, because my experience is that there's something driving it. Um, It's either a sense of overwhelm, I don't know what to start or what to do because I don't have a system or I'm not clear on priorities, or if I'm not busy, am I not deemed valuable or important by my organization, or is my busyness a coping tool? Because quite frankly, I don't want to deal with the rest of my life. I'm just (laughs) always busy. (laughs) So, and, And once you look at what's driving it, then you can start to determine for you what's going to help you get off of that crazy, busy treadmill and start to align and work in a way that's more productive. Yeah, and I find with a lot of the people that I work with, actually that first one you mentioned, just not having, here are my three core priorities for the quarter and I'm not taking my eye off the ball. I mean, without having that, it's really easy for all the other busy work the email, the, you know, the crap in social media to, you know, to really make you feel like you're doing something. Exactly. So I have all of my clients, regardless of their style, I ask them, and this exercise varies based on style, but at its core essence, it's that at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day, you take a three by three post-it note, any color, I don't care which you know color you want, It can be electronic or it can be paper. And on that post-it note, you write your one to three priorities for the day. These are the things that the day will end until you get these things done. And then I ask folks to post it on their computer, on their laptop, on their desk, on their forehead. Just kidding. But where it's (laughs) literally in line of sight all day long, so it serves as an anchor so when you fill that pull with email, you start to feel overwhelmed, you can anchor yourself back in. This is what I said I'd do today. Yeah. I'm focused on these. You have something that I, um, a graphic on your site that's a tool that you use that I think uh, is really probably sums up a lot of your work, and that's this freedom framework. You want to kind of explain that, how you apply that? Um, yeah, so that um, it's the base of the freedom framework is getting really clear on what your goals and objectives are. And then once you're clear there, you start to build from it your personal strategies and tools. And then you start to loop in um, the team and how the team can help you. 
with your work and the execution of your work. Does that help you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so one of the things that uh, I, I, you know, m- most of my clients, I consult with them on marketing. Um, and marketing yep. is tends to be one of those things that, Uh, particularly for a business owner. I mean, if they're not a VP of marketing or something, they're a business owner and they're juggling a lot of balls, marketing seems to get pushed down and they just don't seem to have time for it. And and one of the exercises that I've pulled out uh, a time or two is to actually have them uh, track their time for a couple of weeks uh, just just to really get a baseline for where they actually are spending their time. Um, And it's amazing uh, how eye-opening that can be. Do you do do that same thing with any of your clients just to really get a, a sense of maybe where they're wasting time uh, first. Absolutely. But, but, yes. Yeah. Yes. So um, to take um, and complete what we call a time time log to really document where they're spending their time. And what I ask my clients to do, the second step in that is to, once they've gotten the data, is to look at it and then decide, am I earning revenue? Right. Or am I losing revenue with this task or activity? Because I want to anchor them back into that time is a commodity and it's to be invested for the highest return. So now you know what you do and now you know the cost of it. So let's look at what changes you choose to make. I think uh, this is probably a little bit of a double-edged sword, but I think there's some amazing free and low-cost and ubiquitous tools now that uh, – uh, that help us be more productive, help us track what we're doing, help us communicate, collaborate uh, better. Do you do you have some uh, um, some of these you know new online tools and uh, mobile device tools that uh, that you find are uh, some of your favorites? Yeah, so um, I'm going to start with the simplest one and then kind of go down. So I am always a fan of a tool that will allow me to do work once. and then replicate that work over and over and over again. So I'm a huge advocate for text expanders. Oh, yeah. And there's one that I'm I'm on a PC environment, and so I use one called FastFox. And what I love about it is I type emails, I type Word documents, I type them once, assign a shortcut key, and then I use the text over and over again. Yeah. Yeah, super I, simple. I'm on a Mac and I use one that's actually called Text Expander and, and I've used yep. it for years. And one of the things that's kind of fun is it it does this, it keeps these little statistics, how much time you've saved. Um, you I don't know don't if you're... You uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculous too. It's like 374 hours I think I'm up to now because I've been using it so long. So pretty crazy. Um, okay, so, so you said Text Expander. So that's so Text Expander, that would be the simplest one. Um, the second one that I like is something called Rescue Time. And this is an app that allows you to block websites that you don't want to access because they might be tempting. Yeah. But it also allows you to input in your priorities or your goals and then and track your time spent against those. Yeah, working on those high payoff actions. Yeah. Yes. So I'm a, a big advocate of that. Um, and then for collaboration, there are two that are tied for me, um, Asana, mm-hmm. Project Management Platform, and Basecamp. Yeah. I, I think Asana is a little bit simpler at times than Basecamp, but I really like both of them, and they're so closely tied when it comes to collaborating with virtual partners um, in different organizations 
or within your organization, both of those tools, I think, work really, really well. Yes, we, we use uh, Asana really to run our entire business because I think when you yes. expand your yeah. view of what a project actually is, it can be anything. And, and I think when you start seeing it that way, uh, uh, it's a great tool. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's great talk about tool. some of the, the killers, the productivity killers. I mean, how do you deal with mm-hmm. email and meetings and travel? So we'll start with email because um, I think that's the most painful point for most of us. So what makes email a productivity killer in my mind and experience with my clients is that folks don't read their emails. So what I mean is that uh, folks tend to skim them. They're standing in line for coffee and they check their email. Then they have to go back to their office and they end up rereading it or they're in their office and they're kind of scanning it as they're trying to do four other things. And so what happens is when you have to go reread, you spend twice as much time. And so the simplest thing to do with email is to make the decision that you're only going to check it when you're ready to read it and make a decision on what you want to do with it. Yeah. So I always you know, tell my clients, think about it this way. Let's say you get 100 email messages a day, which is probably light for many of your listeners, and it takes you a minute or so to read those. Well, if you skim them and don't make a decision, you're going to have to go back and reread them. So the first pass took you an hour and 40 minutes. If you go back and reread that same 100, you're now at three hours and 20 minutes of your day. Just read your emails once. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that uh, for me, one of the real um, time sucks of, of email is is it's it's always there. It's just such an easy way to procrastinate. So if you're working on something, it's very easy for you to get out of the flow by going, oh, I'll just go check my email. Um, exactly. Yeah. I'm so, yes, John. I mean, I <laughs> hear that and I experience it myself. And so I try to be very intentional um, and ask my clients to consider this as well, just to make sure I've turned off of the, all of the email notifications, so the pop-ups and the bells and the whistles that ding at you, so that I'm not distracted when I am in the flow and I'm working on something. It makes it easier for me to to not go and get sucked in. How about meetings? I mean, meetings are particularly poorly run meetings. Meetings can be necessary. Um, They can be useful. But I think part of the problem is most of us experience really poorly run uh, meetings. So so how how do we run better meetings or more productive meetings? It starts with an agenda, an agenda and a clearly stated outcome. So if someone asks for a meeting with me and they don't provide an agenda, I immediately send a response, an email response, asking them for the agenda and asking what they want me to contribute in that meeting so then I can make an informed decision on whether or not that meeting is the highest and best use of my time that day. And then the other, yeah, or if, just, or if at least they've thought out what they want to talk about, rather than rather than just um, getting on the phone and using that as their processing time. Exactly. So it gives you a lot of information before you have invested the time and helps you make a very informed decision on whether or not to accept that meeting. The other thing I'd say around meetings is once you have an agenda and you're clear on the outcome, can you shorten that meeting by? 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. And if you shorten it, what you'll do is you'll, you'll crunch the container 
and there'll be a little bit more of an efficiency bent from you as the leader, and it reduces the chit-chat, which isn't a bad thing at times, but when we really want to focus, and allows you to get the work done a little bit faster. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, but meetings are a, a huge part in, in many ways, a reflection of the culture of, of an organization. Yes, Poorly they are. Run, they start late, they're sloppy. I mean, they, they, uh, they're really a microcosm, I think, of the culture in many cases of an organization. Absolutely. We have a program called Meeting Revolution, and we work with clients and their organizations on redesigning and putting in place a new meeting culture mm-hmm. because the meetings are just derailing them in terms of getting their the real work done. Mm-hmm. I've had on my show Al pittman Pauly, who's written a book called uh, Read This Before uh, Our Next Meeting that uh, I think has some tremendous uh, tips on on how to hold better meetings. Um, there's one that uh, that I probably have a personal attachment to, and I'm, I know a lot of my listeners do. I'm sure people you work with uh, do. You know, One of the tough things particularly if you're in a leadership role or you're seen as a thought leader or you have lots of followers uh, um, in social media, for example, you get a lot of requests to do things that uh, probably aren't that productive. Um, They might be for the person requesting, but they might not be for you or they might take you off of your uh, priorities. And uh, so, you know, how, how do you, how do you coach some of your folks to get good at saying no without feeling crappy about it? Yeah. That is such a good question. (laughs) That's such a good question. So the first thing that I say to my clients as I'm coaching them on how to say no to these requests is to ask yourself, am I disappointing the right person? Mm. So when I say no, am I disappointing the right person? Because that brings it into focus around your priorities and your relationships. So for me personally, if it's a conflict um, and I will end up disappointing my young daughter, I'm going to really carefully think about that, yes or no. And the second thing I say to them is that every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Right. So are you intentional? Are you intentionally thinking about when I say yes to your request for coffee to pick your brain, what else am I saying no to? This could be on my list and my calendar, my priorities and my goals. And those two thoughts help guide folks in making that decision around where to say yes or no. And then the next step is how do you gracefully say no in your email or in your, you know, phone response um, so that you acknowledge that person and make them feel good, but are also acknowledging and respecting your time and your energy. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's tough. And it, and it gets, you know, I suppose the, the, you know, the more things you are doing, the more, the more active you are in some cases, probably uh, that, that particular uh, problem grows even larger. Um, so you also, I noticed that, uh, that you are certifying uh, coaches to actually use your methodology. And that's a, that's a model actually I've pursued. I have about a hundred, uh, duct tape marketing consultants around the world that, that use our methodology and our materials. And, uh, so I'm always curious when other people are taking that approach, um, t- you want to tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, so um, we will be opening another class from coaches second quarter, 2015, and it is an in-person training program as well as um, coaching with me to have folks be certified in our Work Smarter, Not Harder methodology. And so once folks are certified, they're certified to coach on it and teach and train on it using our materials. And so it just allows um, me to support as many folks as possible and helping them work more simply. Awesome. Well, Carson, thanks so much for joining me. Um, you can find uh, a great deal of information on some of the things we talked about here today at workingsimply.com. And uh, depending upon when you are listening to this, uh, January uh, 2015-ish, uh, the, the book Work Simply, Embracing the Power of Your Personal Productivity Style will be available in all places that uh, people sell books. So, yeah. Carson, thanks again, and uh, maybe we'll uh, bump into you out there on the road. Oh, well, I hope so. John, thanks again. <laughs>